Good morning. Good to be with all of you, and uh, definitely a flash to the past, and uh, so many memories, and um, just so thankful that God is faithful. There were many days I labored, 11 years officially, and maybe a year unofficially as their pastor, and wondered if faith would survive, if there would be those who would carry on. And God has survived his thoughts. And I look forward to much more. You know, today's a special day to me always, homecoming in churches, because to me, they're the modern equivalent of the high days of the Jewish economy. God had commanded the nation of Israel and those of Judea that they were to mark certain days in remembrance of His goodness to them. And so we do that. We we think about the dinners. We think about those who've gone on before us, those we've lost. I could not help but think about Brother Beatty, who led singing here for so many years. I'll be honest with you, I thought he was a very peculiar man when I first got to know him as a kid. But you know what? He became one of my greatest friends in the Lord. He supported his pastor. He was here. He loved me. He prayed for me that I would lead this church. And most of the times I would announce my scripture reading and a big smile would come across his face and he knew exactly where I was going because the Lord had been showing him the same thing. And so I thank God for all of that. So many and so many faces here. Goads, the Wolfers, others, Brother Allen, his family. You're all so precious to me. And you're still in my prayers, still in my thoughts, and I apologize that we don't get to communicate as much as I would love, but phone works both ways, right? Anytime you have a need, call me. I'm so proud of the work that God has done with your pastor, Brother Derek. We were in a revival, and God had blessed and saved many, and Brother Derek was attending. God put on my heart to ask Brother Derek to lead a youth fellowship here at our church. And God proved that to be right because it was very profitable right off the bat. We came down out of a revival not long after that, and the Lord showed me that Brother Derek would be the pastor here one day. I had no idea he would be the next one, but I believed God. And God has shown that to be true, and I'm thankful for the work that has happened here. If you want to read along with me, we're going to try to read out of three passages. God has filled my quiver, if you'd say, so i got a lot of arrows to shoot at you this morning. And I hope they hit your heart. I'm not aiming for your feet. God has uh, really given me a great desire for our churches to have wholeness, oneness in the body of Christ. Nothing hurts me more to hear that there are division and problems among the people of God in our churches. Because I know Jesus who gave his life for the church. It renders his heart. And it should render ours. And it should drive us to our knees in prayer. And there isn't anything God cannot overcome in our human weakness and frailty. So, if you want to be, I said the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, we're just going to try to read a few verses there. And it says in the first verse, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land 
which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know that what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God knows whether we're going to keep his commandments or not. But yet he is still faithful, is he not? He is quick to forgive us and be merciful. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So God knew our frailty, even him giving us something that wonderful that we couldn't even express or understand. Why does God give us the blessings of His Spirit? So that we may understand that our need and our desire is of Him and not of this world. Folks, all of it can go away tomorrow, but we can't do without God's mercies. He has a way for us. Something we may have never understood or been able to be able to vision. I never would have thought God would have landed me where I have am now and I would be there as long as I have and I would never perceive. I knew there was a great need there years ago when I went and it bothered me and I prayed for them, but I never knew God was going to lead me and the provisions He would make as we tried to serve in that community. My ministry started there with a great tornado that tore through that little community of Washington, Illinois. Three tornadoes. All three of them had a direct path to the little church I was pastor in Pleasant Valley that morning when you track them. But somehow, by the marvelousness of God's grace, as we heard the alarms and the warnings on our phones and went down in the basement and proceeded with our worship and the children came out speaking as babes about the promises of God. What an encouragement that was to us. We went on and we worshiped God. And do you know all three of those tornadoes turned a different path and went around Pleasant Valley Church that morning? But it left an aftermath of destruction you could not believe. It looked like something from outer space, what was left. And I heard the testimony of God's people and many who knew His name talking about the mercies of God, of how they emerged out of their basements and their whole houses and cars and their whole everything that they knew that they owned was destroyed. And yet they gave praise to God. Folks, let this world go away, but let there be Jesus, right? We've already heard those words this morning of same effect. And so we think, well, we're talking about the Jewish economy here. Everything that was going on under the law of Moses was indicating the Savior who was promised to the world. So as we go on, uh, thy raiment uh, waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Folks, we need to rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we are the children of God, and yet He cares for us enough to chasten us in our air. And therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to do walk in His ways and to fear Him. You know, I heard an expression by young brother Harper last night in his job service. What is the definition of a good person? It's to keep doing the things, disciplining yourself that you know are right and pleasing and good. So that when the day comes that those mundane things of just doing the right thing, God calls them up 
and he supplies the need that we have and we rejoice in the mercies of God as he manifests himself among us. And folks, does that not happen when we are at our lowest, when we are at our worst, when we are hurting, that God comes and supplies our need? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But some don't get to enjoy that privilege. Why? Because they have not disciplined themselves to the work of God. And that's a hard one. So, uh, listen to the seventh verse. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. This is the reason that we must endure these things. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water. Do you know what that sounded like to people in a desert land? Paradise is what it sounded like. We love to come into the house of God and feel that living water flow freely over us. And our cups run over and rejoice in the goodness of God. We love to hear the testimony of God's people and the praises and the testimonies of those who have found Him. Right? Of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. <laughs> All those little coveted places of God. He knows where they are. You know, we could have never imagined where God springs forth His land of living water. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. Oh my, what a land of plenty. How wondrous. Brother Allen, I've never forgotten a testimony you gave in Sunday school many years ago talking about the goodness and abundance of God. And Brother Allen rejoiced over a good watermelon. And he made you so hungry for that watermelon. But I'm going to tell you what, when a preacher preaches a good message about Jesus Christ and His saving grace, I rejoice because that's good to me. It's good to my soul, isn't it? So, (laughs) and listen to this. A land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. I mean, this is just wondrous to these people. What God has promised to provide them in the natural realm that they might be whole and healthy. And that's my prayer for God's people, that we be whole in God, that we be whole and healthy. Matter of fact, you know what the definition of holy is? It's wholeness. The only uh, being that has ever existed that is completely whole is God. And that's the reason He's holy. He's complete. There's nothing that needs to be added to Him. And when God saves our heart and soul and perfects that inner spirit man, we become holy. That part of us is whole. There's nothing that ever needs to be added or taken away from it. But this fleshly part, it's got a work to do, doesn't it? It's got to attune and relate and testify of the holiness of God and how that we have been saved by Him and stand in His righteousness. And I want to jump down to the last few verses here. There's a lot of good things that tells them there about the man and so forth. And it shall be in the 19th verse, if thou do at all forget, I didn't say some, it said at all forget the Lord thy God. Now I think all of us can say that we've been guilty of that, haven't we? We've forgotten the Lord. We've walked in our own way. And walk after other gods. We may not be walking after some statue, but folks, we we worship at the altar of ourselves so much of the time. Our own opinion. 
our own desires, our own wickedness, our lasciviousness, our lustfulness. All those things are not common to man, are they not? Sure they are. And serve them and worship them. What is to worship me? It just means to attend and give homage to. That means you prefer it over the things of God. Guilty. How about you? Guilty. This day you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now I want to make a distinction here. The covenant to Israel was unique. It was to a nation. It was to a people. And God was to use it to be a witness to the world. But don't confuse it with the covenant that God made for humanity before the foundation of the world and the one that He exemplified with Adam and Eve in the garden. Because that was for humanity. The things of the law that were schooled in the covenant of Moses were to be a schoolmaster and a teacher for us of the perfectness and fulfillment of God for humanity. Somehow or another, we want to walk back and embellish ourselves too much of the time in the religiosity of rules and forms and laws that have been fulfilled at times. Fulfilled by Christ. It doesn't mean that they have been abolished, but they have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Let's continue. So I want, if you would, turn with me to the 81st chapter of Psalms. And I'm very much a teacher. You'll find that. I want you to know where my thoughts come from the basis of truth, and I want you to be able to be thoroughly furnished in the Word of God that when someone challenges you, you know where to go. You're not just speaking off the top of your head. Now, the Holy Spirit can use that, and I tell people, wherever you're at, let God use you. Whatever your knowledge is, let Him use you. It's sufficient. But we're to furnish ourselves thoroughly in the things of God that we might be capable laborers and dressers of the vineyard for God. And it, this is, again, this high day we're talking about here. David is uh, talking about this uh, need of, uh, of, of us to observe the high day. And he writes about it in this psalm. We don't know which one it was. We just came out of Easter. Well, I don't like to use the word Easter. I call it the resurrection day. We don't celebrate Easter, folks. That's a pagan concept. We we celebrate the Passover that they celebrated during that time as Christ observed with His disciples. And this is important that we get this right because the whole basis of the law and everything that we believe and trust in Jesus Christ depends upon His death, burial, and resurrection. So we know that He went and He observed that in the day of preparation, in the day of the feast of the Passover, began on that officially that Wednesday. And everything that happened that Jesus had prophesied that would happen to him, him observing that and telling them that he was the bread and the wine, and for them to taste of him and them to do this and remember some, all the things that completed until his death on Wednesday afternoon before he went on the grave, what we would call Thursday evening, were completed in that 24 hours. It's amazing to me. But, We celebrate that. But here they were reminding them that God had brought them out of Egypt. And that promise that God had given them that they would go into a land of milk and honey 
is talked about here. And it tells them how that they are to celebrate God. And this is directed to the chief musician. It says, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Now, we've heard those words so many times in Psalms and other places, haven't we? But it's giving us a command, folks, that we're to take the time and worship God and celebrate Him and give Him thanksgiving. And that isn't one where you get to sit back and be passive. You're ordered each as individuals to take that upon yourself. And folks, that is good discipline in our life that we speak the things of God. Not the preacher, not the deacons, but every one of us testify to the goodness and greatness of God. That we celebrate Him. That we don't leave it off to someone else. If God saved you, then you have a voice to speak for Him. Do it. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel and the peasant. It's saying get something to celebrate God. You may sing. You may do it well and you may not do it well. Doesn't matter. We lift up the name of the Lord, right? And so blow up, blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. So that's a herald, you know? Many of the times when it says to raise a trumpet or to raise a sound, it's talking about the trumpets that signaled it was time to worship. We do that. One of my greatest memories was when I went to Lions Missionary Baptist Church years ago, we had a very wonderful man by the name of Wilmot Carter, and he would start off the morning singing with a shout as he led that voice, and the piano would follow after him, and you knew it was time for everyone to get in your pew, and we would sing and raise our voices to God. He did it with such celebration and purpose and intention. It wasn't something that he just put together the last minute he walked in. There was intention in his worship. And that's the way we need to be. A lot of times we go, well, I hope I can get there, get the kids crowd. I know all those challenges. I'm a single man. I still have them all. That's terrible, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, we should never come into the church without intention in our heart and mind of what our purpose and what we need to be doing is. And so we celebrate the risen Savior, right? The new Sabbath Sunday. Folks, that's our high day every day of the week. We need to come in with certainty that we're here to praise the Lord. It says, In the time appointed on our solemn feast day, for this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. So that's talking about Joseph. He was captured and imprisoned in a land that he didn't know the language, folks. Folks, he was a stranger. And yet God went with him. And God delivered a people. And God made a covenant. And many times we feel like we are very different and very left out from the world. But I want you to know God goes with us. And He knows our name. And He still has a promise to deliver to us. We don't ever need to feel alone in this world. Oh, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. All these that were enslaved and burdened. Folks, that's a picture of us in the world. God does not deliver us from the hardships of this world. But he lets us suffer in them 
that in them we might have our infirmities. And as Paul said, I glory in my infirmities. I glory in my weaknesses. Why? Because that shows the mercies and power of God working through us, does it not? You know, everybody wants to get perfect these days. I don't find that in Scripture. I'm sorry, you can disagree, I don't. I find maturity, growth in the grace of God and His goodness. An observance to those things. The only righteous one, the only pure one, the only perfect one is Jesus Christ. And He has applied that gift He has given and purchased for me to my heart. Just as in the Passover, as they celebrated in these high feast days, they were commanded to go. And if you study the Paschal Lamb, that just means the Passover Lamb, they selected Him on the 10th day of Nisan. And He stood with outside the camp for four days, that little lamb or goat. And they observed that that was going to be the one that's life would be given on the day of the Passover for each household. And they would walk by and the kids would walk by and the old people would walk by and they'd hear that little thing bleat and it was the best one they had that they reserved for God. On the 14th day of Nisan, it went to the Passover. It was to be slayed. And God commanded away that it was to be not boiled, but it was to be braised. It was to be up on the fire. And it was to be treated with uh, bitter herbs, which means savory, good. Because the things of God are savory, they're good. And we're to eat it all, are we not? All the things that proceeded out of the mouth of God are supposed to be good to us. And none of it was to be left. It was all to be consumed, showing the completeness of God. So we'll move on here real quick. Thou callest in the trouble, and I delivered thee, seventh verse, I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. (laughs) You know, there's some places in all of our life, but amidst these, they went to a great turmoil in the wilderness. They went through in a cloud, and I think that's what it speaks of here. I remember when uh, God got a hold of my soul and it felt like I was in a thundering place. I heard the voice of God. I knew sin had found me and the wages of death of sin was death. Do you remember that? I proved thee at the water of Mizbah. Two places God delivered water to the Israelites when they were with in, in the wilderness and one was at Mizbah. Remember he used Moses. He commanded the water. Hear, O my people, Aphos, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou hearken unto me. There shall be no strange God be in thee, neither shall thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and open the mouth wide, and I will fill it. Folks, we're like baby birds. (laughs) Our mouths are just supposed to be open, looking to God to fill them, to nourish us, to give us the things that we need. Not the world, but Him. And that's what He desires of us. Folks, how desirous are we after the food of God, the manna of God? Do you hunger to come back into the house of God and hear the preaching of the Word and the exaltation of it? Do you hunger enough that you have your private time with God that you run back to your house or your private place and you just spend time in God's Word and in prayer with Him? Oh, it's a sweet place to develop that kind of relationship with God. We've fallen in and out of it, folks. It can be just as real in your life as the day that God saved you. It becomes so sweet. We're getting down to what I want to point out this morning this. Oh, that my people, 13th verse. Oh, sorry, let's go to the 12th verse. Uh, 
11. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own hearts and lust. Huh? Sound familiar? Folks, that's happened to us, hasn't it? We've waxed cold and indifferent. And they walked in their own counsels. What does that mean? Their own ideas. Their own beliefs. Not God. You know, one of the hardest things is when you hear people speaking things in the church of God that aren't true and your heart renders and you know that they've been among the counsel of God or had opportunity and have not taken it. Folks, if your life is not in a place of rejoicing with God, it's because you may have swept aside some important good stuff that you needed in your life. Attend to the things of God. I know Brother Derek begs you to do that all the time. I know he loves you is the reason he does it. And he rejoices when you do and he sees growth in you and improvement. That's the greatest blessing to God's people. And 13 verse, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. Exclamation mark. That's God's desire. He, he doesn't want any to perish, but also beyond that, he wants to bless his people in ways unimaginable. And we said, and we think about what we don't have a lot of times or what is wrong. Folks, we haven't began to taste the full goodness of God yet. We haven't. The, laters, the haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto Him, but their time should have endured forever. God had intended for that nation to endure in such a way that they would be the witness and light of the Messiah coming. But instead, they became the opposite, didn't they? And yet, His faithfulness to the remnant stood. And He spoke of that through all the prophets. But yet, in all your unfaithfulness, and all the command of punishment I am sending you, there is a remnant who has been faithful to Me, and they shall endure until the Messiah come. And He will witness of them. 16 verses. This is the one I want you to get in your head. I want you to think about this. I want you to walk away with it today. I want it to get in bed with you. I want you to think about the things that could have been, should have been. Is there any could have beens and should have beens in your Christian walk with God? I got some. I wonder what things really could be like if I had been better in my deportment and my worship of God. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey. Listen, with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Honey out of the rock. Folks, that's what I want. I want you to think about it. That seems really a, a weird thing. Well, uh, honey and that stuff, aren't those in a comb or in a tree? Well, Samson talked about a riddle that he made before the Philistines where he pulled honey out of a carcass of a lion. A hive can be made about anywhere. But how convenient for it to be in a rock. Especially the rock of my salvation. God has goodness He wants to bring to us in the suffering and endurance of what He has done for us at Calvary at being our God. I remember the first time I tasted of that honey in the rock. I was eight years old. God got a hold of my soul for two days and two nights I ran. But finally I humbled myself before Him and called upon His name. And you all remember that day? Wasn't that the sweetest moment in your life? 
Do you ever forget that? You know, honey was a precious commodity. It was really one of the few sweeteners they had back in that day. And it could be a bad thing. They weren't to uh, take the Passover lamb or anything. They made an offering and rub it with honey. That wasn't to go in the fire. No leavening. But when God gives His pure sweet honey, it comes out of the rock. Folks, we can digest that. We can and rejoice in that. We can have that. He's pleased when we find our comfort and our joy in Him. And He gives it freely if we'll desire Him above the rest of all. Now, what does that look like? <laughs> it's discipline in our life. You want to know why? Is that my old flesh don't want to play by the right rules. It gets up in the morning and it's cantankerous. It needs a cup of coffee. Seems like before I even get my head going, you know. But you know what my body really needs is to get a tune with God. And nothing really goes right for me in the day until I've had my little time with God. Sometimes I try it in the morning, just don't take. Sometimes I don't quite get there till afternoon, sometimes evening. But it's the best part of the day, folks. But it's really good when I know that I'm right with God and He's going before me and He's feeding me before and after my coming and going. He's answering those needs in my life, those stresses. And do we all not have so much distraction and distress in our life today? I've never seen such a nervous people as the American society. How frustrated and agitated we get. How much anxiety we have. And folks, does that all just speak to the weakness of the flesh? Does it not? When our comfort and joy and strength should be in Him. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I'm just going to give you a few verses here in Galatians, the sixth chapter this morning. This goes on to talk about, and, and the whole book of Galatians, if you don't know, is about the difference between the Mosaic law and the law of Christ. We all know that, uh, they, Christ was asked by the Pharisees, uh, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And upon these, all the commandments of God rest. They hang upon these. So we have that illustration. And as I said earlier, God did not intend to abolish the law. It stood as a school teacher. Christ came to fulfill it. And we hear that a lot, but what does that mean for you and me? Folks, God's desire is that we be in a land of honey, of milk and honey flowing, that we have all the blessing of God. It also means that uh, he, he fulfills Himself in us and that we are pleasing to Him and that we are capable of distinguishing the work that God has for us. You know, a lot of times we think, well, if I serve God, I gotta go out and do mission work, I've got to serve the poor. You know, the greatest work you'll do is observing sin in your own flesh, in your own mind, and bringing it to subjection to God. Did you know Jesus' battle wasn't the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the kings and magistrates? He could handle them freely. But the real work he did is as he disciplined his flesh, remember he was without sin, but he was tempted at all points, just like you and I. He had the capability to get hurt and wounded, to get angry, to get jealous, all those things. But he didn't. But you know how he did it? 
because he was in flesh, even though he had the Spirit of God. He prayed to his Father. And remember he said, I pray that they be one as you and I are one. You have given these to me. And now I give them to you that they might be one. God wants us to have that oneness of his heart and his mind and his spirit in our life. He wants that so badly for us, folks. He wants us to take us into a land of milk and honey. He wants us to observe the honey and the rock. He wants us to know the fullness of his fellowship. He wants that. That's the covenant. That's what he died for. And as we read this passage, this is the example. Paul's trying to pull this all back together about what to these Galatians, the love of Christ and the law of Christ looks like. Folks, this is the greatest challenge of the church today. Why? Because we're human beings just like those Israelites were. We are full of prejudices. We're full of pride. We're full of sin. We're full of evil thoughts. Uh, you know, we have our distractions and our hates. And, and well, I, I don't really. Do you really think you're without sin? And do you ever get halted between two opinions? We all do. And there's only one that we should observe, and that's God's opinion. That's the only one that matters. But folks, what does our life really look like in observance to loving our neighbor and restoring those that are at a fault within our own body and outside the church? Love looks like something where we persevere for God because we see something in ourselves that is not right, that needs to be corrected, that needs to be changed. You may be a good moral person, but you may do nothing for God. There's a difference between good works and looking good. That's why those uh, Pharisees who uh, persecuted Jesus and tried to trap Him so much of the time, and He sent them away silenced every time. Every time they couldn't combat the wisdom of this great teacher. <laughs> Folks, whatever the world has to throw up in religiosity, God can confound it and put it to naught. He can. You know, we've seen a lot of bad things happen. And in the area that I live in, Peoria, we have a very large African-American population. It's considered one of the ten worst cities in America for African-Americans. It breaks my heart. I'm in one of those little outgrowth communities where a lot, a lot of white flight happened years ago. They're everywhere we go. With all the race riots and problems we have, we can sit and we can lay blame and we can point fingers. But folks, the greatest failure has been on the part of the Lord's church of Jesus Christ. If our love was right, if our pursuit was right, that we love our brothers, we ought to, many of those things would have been healed. Not saying all would, but many would be healed. Folks, there's got to be one identifying thing of the people of God that we love a lost humanity regardless of their station of life, their problems, what they might overcome because they're all guilty of just the same thing we are. Sin, right? And we have a God that forgives. But in this passage, we'll see uh, third verse, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And folks, that's the biggest problem. As long as we think everything's okay and there's no failure in our life, we're deceiving ourselves. I don't care how good moral and moral you are, how much you come to the house of God, there's got to be something if you pray to God that He will show you that needs to be conquered and overcome in your life. That you might love as He loved. 
Remember, Jesus uh, struck out from the disciples. They were hungry. They went to get something to eat. He marched up in Samaria. Found a woman at the well. It's a good day for her, you know it? <laughs> she perceived that he was a Jew and said, why do you come here for water? He said, I came that she might have everlasting water. Ever living. She says, you don't have anything to draw with. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I came to the day that Jesus came by and offered me that living water. I'm so glad that there were the saints of God preaching in the church over where Salem used to meet over in Martyrsville, carrying on for the Lord and witnessing of Him. But folks, there's a whole dying world out there. You know, when Jesus really got a hold of His disciples and He talked plain to them, He said, the, the fields are wide unto harvest. He was looking at the whole world that needed to be saved. And the challenge was for them to go out and share the gospel and love those people that they might bring them to God. You know, we can get really tore up about a lot of things with God. And Paul told us in the sixth chapter of John, I believe it is, that we're to glory in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. But you can't glory in the cross of Jesus Christ and know what it's really about. That He sacrificed Himself for a dying world. And folks, if we love that gift that He's given us on the cross, then we follow that commandment to love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone's your neighbor. You know, God has spoken to me in some of the most uh, difficult situations and said, you go to that person. And God, be completely out of my comfort zone. He sends me. We look at the uh, manifestation of Philip out in the desert looking for the eunuch. Folks, that shouldn't be a strange thing. God should be sending us. God should be sending us to the eunuchs in the desert. There's somebody seeking God somewhere wanting a greater truth, and He chose us to go. He chose us to go. That walk might be as short as from one room of your house to the other. It might be across to the neighbor's house and knock on their door or sit on their porch so they get home. It might be halfway around the world. It might. Any way you put it, folks, when we serve the God and look at the blessing and the covenant and promise He has for us, there's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock. When we get into our rejoicing and God blesses us richly, I want you to remember, God provided for you honey in the rock. There's an old Christian song that the churches used to sing. We think it's kind of funny now, honey in the rock. Matter of fact, if you get a chance, you can go on YouTube and watch a really funny video of the Lewis family. And it's funny and it's good, but the meaning's there. If you go back to some of the People who sung that song in the beginning in the 1920s and 30s, the hymnal, it's deep and it is good. My desire for you is that God just pours out His richest blessings. I'm proud of what God has done, but I desire more for you. I desire to see you grow and worship individually and such a point that He leads you out of your comfort zone, out of the things that you think you're, you, you know or understand and takes you on a journey to a far greater place. Folks, that is the work of God. That is the work of His church. God bless you today.